And please stand for the reading of God's word as you're able. If I speak in the tongues of men, of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I have, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be buried, burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I said, Brian's going to come and open for us. Well, I brought my phone up here so I could keep up with time, but there's a there's a little clock up here, but it's already got 11 o'clock, so <laughs> y'all trying to tell me something I'm done before I get started? That's funny. Oh, it is a treat to be here with you this morning. I think this is either the third or the fourth time that I've had the privilege to come and to speak with you uh, in Parker's absence. And uh, it's been a while, though, and so it's uh, good to see each of you. And I always enjoy being here. I do enjoy going around to different churches and speaking and just see how everybody and different people do church. And what I've always found is no matter where I am, how big or small the congregation might be, if you have a heart and an attitude towards worship, you will feel the presence of the Lord, and you can hear from the Lord, and you can receive from the Lord. And uh, I'm, I'm just glad to be here. So I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then I'll get into my message. God, I come to you this morning, and I pray, Lord, that it's with an honest and a humble heart. And I ask right now that you give me the insight and the direction that I need to proclaim the message and the word that you've given to me. I pray that I do it in a way where it's not necessarily offensive, but it provokes thought. It provokes us to think about where we are in relation to your word. And I just ask that you will guide each and every word that I say, Lord, that it would honor you. As the song that the, that the singer sang just a while ago says, in all that I do, I honor you. And I want this message right now to honor you and to honor your people, to build us up, to bring us the encouragement we need, the equipping that we need, so that when this service is over and we go wherever we go and do whatever we do, and all we do, we will honor you. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On August the 18th in 1988, George H.W. Bush, when accepting his party's nomination for President of the United States, said the following, America is never wholly herself unless she is engaged in high moral principle. We as a people have such a purpose today. It is to make kinder the face of the nation and gentler the face of the world. That was 35 years ago. 
But even then, this sentiment was met with skepticism. Some mocked. Then vice president is naive, idealistic, and it was pointed to over times and even in debates as a source of weakness. As I said, that was 35 years ago. And when Parker texted me and asked me uh, would I fill in for him, I almost immediately knew what I was to speak about. And I began to tell people, because I don't, I, don't, um, I don't get a lot of speaking engagements, uh, and so I began to tell people that I work with, people that I go to church with, and they said, well, what are you going to preach about? And I told them, a kinder kind of love. And I can tell you the response fell flat. <laughs> I got little to no reaction. Some looked confused as to almost why would you preach on that, as if to say we have more pressing issues and more important things to talk about. Most people think that they know what love is. Most people think that they know what kindness is. But all you have to do to realize that's not the case is just to observe society. Amen? I'm an observer of people when they're not at church. I'm an observer of our culture, of the church, the full body of Christ, of social media, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube. I'm an observer of our leaders and of our citizenry. And either as a majority, either we don't know what love and kindness are, or we do and choose not to live a life in a way where that is our priority. The climate of many of our conversations that are had today are heated. Public discourse has devolved to words packed with anger, rudeness, dissension, disagreement, disapproval, and laced with impatience. Everything from what we buy to where we shop or vacation is now looked at through the lens of politics. And tribalism has infected not only our country, but the mindset of many Christians. So much so that the scriptures that was read in 1 Corinthians and then a companion scripture in Galatians 5, which talks about the character and nature of God, are often looked down upon as weakness. And uh, I hope that you will have an open mind today to listen to the word of God and just see if there is a way where we can improve in what love is. And I'm going to focus on one tenet of love. Many were listed in 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to focus on the idea of kindness. But I want to refer you to Galatians 5, and you don't have to turn there. Galatians 5 and 22, 23. Back in verse 16 of that chapter, Paul admonishes the church there to walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, he goes on to say you won't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh, but then you will begin to give forth and produce the fruit of of the spirit and when he was talking about walking in the spirit what exactly does that mean well i'll refer you to a passage in hebrews 5 13 and 14 that says that if we are unskillful in the word of god we will struggle in our knowing the difference between the basics of right and wrong i want you to hear that and I'll, you just write that down and go back and study it hebrews 5 13 and 14 if we are unskillful in the word, we will struggle with the basics of determining what is right 
and what is wrong. And, and, and when, the, when the singers were singing that song, Amazing Love, and all we do, I honor you. Boy, the spirit in me just began to say, this is the message you're supposed to preach today, if you had any doubt. In all we do, we honor you. And then in John 16, because walking in the spirit, John 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will guide us into all truth. So if we walk in the spirit, we're going to be fruitful. And if we walk in the spirit, he will guide us into all truth. And then Romans 12 adds that we can to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for our life. And this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, and I've not lost my place, because if you read 1 Corinthians 13, and then if you read Galatians 5, which lists the fruit of the Spirit, and I'll go ahead and do that for you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that's what we're going to talk about today, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. What we are looking at in both passages, some people call them fruit, but the reality is it is the character, the full character and nature of God. And that is what God, through the Holy Spirit, leading us through the Word of God, that is what He wants to do, and that is how He chooses to express Himself through us to others. I want to repeat that. The fruit of the Spirit, God's character, and his nature, that if we walk in the Spirit, that is how God chooses to express himself through us to others. Most of you might be familiar with the scripture in Psalms 34 and 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that God is good. And you know, I believe that as we express the character of God, his character, not our interpretation of his character, not how we feel at that moment, but if we allow the Holy Spirit to express the character and nature of God, they will come to the conclusion that the psalmist came to and that when you consume or when you try God, when you experience God, you will make the same determination that he did, and that is that God is good. Amen? And then Romans 2 and 4 says that it is that goodness of God when man receives the revelation and understands that God is good, the Bible says that that leads men to repentance. It leads them to change their mindset towards God. It may expose their need for, a sal for salvation and for a Savior. But in 2 Corinthians 5 and 18, it says that God has given you and me the ministry of reconciliation. He is making, I want you to hear this, he is making his appeal to humanity through us. And that appeal is be reconciled to God. Now, I think it's important to note that um, we can't just make up our mind that, you know, if you go through the fruit of the Spirit and the scriptures, the, the passages of 1 Corinthians 13, I just can't wake up in the morning and say, okay, today I'm going to be more loving. Today I'm going to be more kind. Today I'm going to have more peace. It really doesn't work that way, does it? How many understand that it's a process? And that's why I included the scripture in Romans, is that is, it says we are transformed, and that is a process. 
that means it takes time. But the point is, are we committed to the process? Now, I know when I, the first time I was asked to speak here, I was told, don't dare get into politics. <laughs> I even was hesitant to use the quote by George Bush, but it's not a political statement. And so I hesitate to say this because this is more important to Bruton, Alabama than politics, but Nick Saban always talks about, say, I don't want to inject football, but what does Nick Saban always talk about? And the key to his success as a coach is you got to commit to the process. So, you know, you can learn something from anybody, even if, you, even if you're on. You know, God spoke through a mule in Scripture, didn't he? Amen? All right. I'm an Alabama fan, by the way, so that's full disclosure. Um, in Matthew 7, verse 15 through 20, and I won't read that either. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, and I will get to my main passage in, in a few moments. But it makes this statement, you will know them by your fruit. And I've been in church for 50 years. And because I've been in church for 50 years, most of the time when we read passages about fruit, most of the time we have, at least for me, because I have to struggle not to be a Pharisee. I have to struggle not to be legalistic. I have to struggle not to be works-based. Anybody in here struggle with, you know, you judge your relationship with God based on what you're doing, not on what he has done. And we feel guilty if, you know, we're not doing what everybody else is doing. And we judge our spirituality and our connection with God based on that. But here it's saying that we will be known not by our works necessarily. It will matter. People will notice if you're doing nothing. But what God chose to say, what we would be known for, is by our fruit. So what is he saying there? We will be known by our character. So there is a tension between works and fruit. Work is what I do, but the fruit of the character is who I choose to be. And, as, and without getting ahead of myself, but in the first few verses of the main text, it talks about gifts, abilities, service, knowledge, eloquence, good works, talents, callings, and you can throw in there right theology. All of that is good, but without character, they are not effective in the service of God. Amen? All right. And it can become a distraction. And so Galatians 5 and 6, and then I'll get into my main text, says that faith works through love. Do you understand that if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to develop the character and nature in your life, not just when you're in here, but when you're at home, when you're at work, and Right now, I work in an accounting office, and so I don't really see a lot of people, so it's easy to be good. But I used to work at Bondurant, a hardware store, and I dealt with hundreds of people a day, and it was hard to be consistently good. I don't know if y'all realize this, but the general uh, temperament of most people, most people that you deal with, are impatient and angry. So I see this is the right message. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, and I pastored a church for 14 years. 
So I know how people can be when they're not on a stage or in a pew. And that's really what's most important. And you've heard this before. This is nothing new. But I still think because we have a, many of us have a work mindset, a work-based mindset. Uh, and, and, and let me just say this. Sometimes, and I'm all about grace, but I think we abuse grace an awful lot today to get by with what we want to. And this isn't in my notes, but it's okay if I deviate just a little bit, can I? Sure, nobody's going to object to a visiting preacher because it's love is kindness day, and so we're going to be kind, and we're going to let him do whatever he wants to do. I want to just read a scripture out of Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Isn't that something? But it goes on to say that the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So the same grace that brings us to a place of salvation is also the power that we need to live in and live under so that we can be that kinder, gentler nation. And I don't want to just limit ourselves to, to, to this country, but this is where we live. And the Bible says that judgment starts where? Home. The house of God. And so we have to start with ourselves. Um, but looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and then verse 4, which is where I'll spend most of my time talking, it says that love is patient. Some translations say suffers long or long-suffering. Love is patient and kind. And I know you have the... Um, the uh, ESV in, in your pew Bible, but I do some reading sometimes in the Passion Translation, and it interprets this verse, that love is gentle and constantly kind to all. Now, who wants to sign up for that? And I'll say this, this idea of love being kind, almost, most men take that as an affront to their manhood, or as an affront to their masculinity, because that's not a real man kind and gentle. That's not how you want to be known. And so we have allowed women to take the lead really in displaying the full character and nature of God. I'm looking, I'm trying to read faces. <laughs> but what does it really mean to be kind? Being kind or expressing kindness, and let me say this, is more than personality. Shine, as I affectionately know him, and most of you do as well, he has a different personality than I do. He's a nicer person, just his DNA is just better. Now Diane's got a quizzical look on her face. All I can speak to is the time on the tennis court. My personality can be a little bit abrasive. I'm not a very patient person. I'm a controlling person. I like to identify problems, and I like, I like things to be where they're supposed to be. I like things to be done like they're supposed to be done. I do not like tardiness. I like a good work ethic. I like excellence, which is not perfection. 
And sometimes that comes across as, as being um, inflexible. Sometimes that comes across as, well, you've just got to have it your way or it's no way. Anybody resonate with any of my character flaws? <laughs> what am I saying? That I'm saying this. Some of it is DNA. Some of it has to do, and let me just say this. I was born a Garrett, and some of you may not. I'm not kin to Brooks Garrett, so, so those of you know him. So when I say what I'm about to say, I don't want to describe anything to some of those others, but our group of the Garretts, you almost wish you weren't born one. <laughs> it's really not a blessing. It's more of a curse. So for 50 years, or at least since I came to Christ, I have really had to work hard to lay down that old man, the nature that I was born with. And, I, and, and some may find this disrespectful, but I don't mean it to be. The nature that you were born with is a sinful nature. So I don't care if it's McCracken or Garrett, we have to lay down that old nature. And we have to pick up, Diane really liked that, we have to pick up that new nature. Can I tell you something? It has been the work of my adult life to allow myself to transform to where I am patient and kind and not rude, that I don't seek my own way all the time. And I've been in ministry since 1998, and I have preached thousands of messages, taught thousands of classes, and I still struggle with allowing the Holy Spirit to express God's nature in my life. It's not a one-shot deal. It's not one prayer that I can pray. It's not one Bible study that I, can, that I can take or can go through. Because just when you think you've got it done and you've arrived, COVID happens. You say, well, what do you mean? Listen. I didn't realize that church people could be so mean by asking them to sit six feet apart. And that was my job when we reconvened after the churches opened up. Can I just talk, be honest, and be real? My assignment, and I don't know why I got this assignment, because remember, I'm impatient and rude, and I like things to be orderly. It blew my mind that people that I thought were spiritually mature how rude they would be because I would ask them to sit so six feet apart. And because of the way that we did it, they couldn't sit where they normally sit. <sighs> I didn't change the prescription for salvation. I just said, you know what? And it seemed, and I know I'm probably stirring the pot here and I'm going to make somebody mad, and that's okay. But if I could do anything that might help somebody else, should I not be willing to do it, if it even if I'm not convinced it's going to work? Even if I'm not sure it's going to work. But you know what? I would rather err on the side of caution. My granddaddy was 95 years old when COVID hit. And I was so concerned about it. But anyway, I got COVID. If you saw me in Bondurant, when I worked there, I had on a mask and all this, that, and the other. I got so tired of hearing people's opinions on why was I wearing a mask. People from the church told me by wearing a mask I didn't have faith. People that weren't in the church told me because I was wearing a mask, uh, I was voting for Biden. I couldn't win. 
And then unfortunately, I came down with COVID and had to go in the hospital. And uh, it took a while for me to recover. And my first day back at Bondurant, my flesh wants to call the name of the person because he's a, const he's a contractor. But anyway, I won't do that because I'm trying to be kind today. He is one who had ribbed me pretty hard about my mask wearing. And you know what? It really wasn't a choice. My employer said I had to. So I, I needed a job. And the first thing that he said, I lost quite a bit of weight. I was laboring to breathe, but I had to try and come back to work. And the first thing that he said to me, and he's a Christian, he's faithful in his church, a pillar of the community, and this is what he said to me, some good that mask did you. You would know him if I called his name, which I won't do. And he was a brother in Christ. I know what that did to me, and I'm sure about my salvation. That did not impact my interpretation of who God was. You understand what I'm saying? It did not shake my relationship with God. It didn't make me want to leave the church. It didn't make me want to lump all Christians into that, like that guy. But I've been at this a long time. But sometimes, do you understand how that attitude sometimes can really be a stumbling block to the work of God? Because even if he believed that, I mean, I could barely walk. I could barely breathe. Did he really have to say that? But, you know, we live in a country where we celebrate the freedom of speech. And that we do. But I want to tell you this. In all you do, if you want to honor him, you're going to be a Christian before you are an American. And that's not a popular thing to say. But I, I, that's really not my point here to be popular. We have to be Christ followers first. Because there are Christians all over this globe who don't have the freedoms that we have. And they're able to function and be effective arms and tools in the hand of an almighty God. Amen? All right, now I know that sounds harsh and, and, and I'm supposed to be encouraging and uplifting and I'm trying and it's still 11 o'clock. <laughs> All right, I did real good. I took copious notes, but they do me absolutely no good. <laughs> Kindness is, showed as to, is defined as to show oneself useful or helpful, to be constructive in one's life, to add to, to build up, it is to act benevolently. And then one definition of kindness is the helping grace of God. And you think about that. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. So what does that tell us as to who we are to show kindness to? Not those people that we get along with. Not those people that agree just like we do. But those people who probably, in a from a worldly point of view, don't deserve our kindness. And then the last definition of kindness is taking care not to cause harm, to not be hard, harsh, sharp, or pressing. You know, several years ago, uh, at least for a while, it became 
the end thing, to pay it forward and to display random acts of kindness. Um, and we see sometimes, but I want to point out where our kindness can be the most powerful. It's nice if you're in McDonald's and you get up to the window to pay and they tell you that the person ahead of you has paid, paid for your meal. That's nice. Everybody likes a free meal every now and then. But these are the people, and I want to say this, because the people that need your kindness the most are the ones that you want to give it to the least. And I hearken to Matthew 25 when God says, if you want to do something for me, do it for the least of these. Now, most of the time we think of the least of these are the poor, the afflicted, those who cannot help themselves. But there are a lot of people out there who deserve our kindness, kindness the least. And I believe if we want to do something for God, they need to become our least of these. Does that make sense? Um, people who don't agree with you. You know, the church I attend is off of Appleton Road, and there are 14 churches on Appleton Road. What does that mean? <laughs> it's just, there's a lot of disagreement even in the body of Christ, amen? And so, let alone the people that, that, that have a different, um, well, we're in an age now where, and if we're not careful, if you disagree with me, we're now being taught by example, by public example, that if you disagree, then you are my enemy. My, my job or goal is to destroy you, to do anything that I can because you don't agree with me. And this isn't politics, really, but I, can I will say this, and I know Parker will listen to this, so I want to honor what he's asked me to do and not pick a side. I'm not picking a side. But politics is poisoning the culture of our country. And if you can't see that, <laughs> I mean, maybe we disagree about that, but I'll move on. People who have hurt you and don't like you, those are the people that you need to be kind to. And this one's hard, especially for the church. People who are sinful and don't love God and don't share your same faith. It's very easy to have an animus attitude towards people who are bound in a sinful lifestyle and reject God. But I go back to Romans 2.4. The goodness of God has an impact on someone sometimes their ability to turn around and to become uh, and, and to believe uh, that Jesus Christ can be their Savior and Lord. Um, I love Galatians 6.1. It says, brethren, when you, when you see a brother who is overtaken in a fault, you ever had that happen in your church family? Someone in your church family be overtaken in a fault? I'll never forget my niece who had a, she, she had gotten into drugs and it was bad. She came to a revival service and she got saved one Friday night and for 18 months I watched God, I watched her life change. I watched her life change. She was there every service, the first week of every month. We have a week of prayer. She was there every night and I saw what God can do if you walk with God. But then I got a call one Sunday morning 
that she had been arrested and was in the county jail and her mugshot, people were posting her mugshot on Facebook. Boy, isn't that good? And my heart was broken, and I only tell you that story, not that you feel sorry for me because, you know, I wasn't the one in jail. But, and this is hard for some people to see, that God loved her just as much in that jail cell as he did when she was coming to prayer service every night of the week. Let me say this to you. I'm not talking about eternity. I'm not talking about heaven or hell, but I'm talking about the love of God. There is nothing that you can do or not do that will make God love you any less. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's never been about our performance. Now, yes, we need to, be a, we need to help the kingdom along. And, 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 and some people might even question someone's salvation by choices that they make. And this isn't a message on judgment, but people who are sinful and don't have the same faith or are weak in their walk with God, they need to see the kindness. They need more kindness, and they need less judgment. It's easier to judge, isn't it? James said, if you have the choice between mercy and judgment... He says it this way, mercy triumphs over judgment. To always let mercy win. Turn with me. What time is it really? Okay. My phone's, okay, it's 10.57. Matthew 5. Beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy and hate your neighbor. God, don't we love the law? We want to be Old Testament Christians then, don't we? That's easy to do. But I say love your enemy. Now, in my Bible, these are red. So what does that mean? Jesus said it. We can't say that that was God speaking through Paul or God speaking through Peter. This is God speaking through himself. Amen? So love your enemies. What does it mean to love your enemies? Love is patient. And kind. Well, who does that? That's the problem. Not too many people. You know what? Well, let me let me just read or I got to go. See, if I was at my home church, I could preach two hours and I don't have that liberty today. All right. Love your hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Do you know it's hard to stay angry at somebody that you're praying for? I have an enemies list. That was meant to be funny. <laughs> but it's also true. Because I've told you about my, my old nature. And so the people, and this is, you might disagree, but I was looking at your um, prayer request list and... and, and um, I was asking Mr. Smith about, I said, did Hilda and John still attend her? I didn't realize that she was sick, and so um, I appreciate being able to, to find that out. But, and I will pray for her because of her cancer. But the people that I pray for before I pray for the people that have cancer 
are the people that I'm having issues with in my own life. And in doing that, it helps me more than it helps them because A, they may not care, or B, they may not know. Because sometimes the problems we have are never expressed and we internalize them, and if we're not careful and don't deal with it, we begin to treat people differently. And sometimes they don't have a clue as to why things have changed, and we're not being fair to them by not at least, if it's a problem. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 18 that if you have a problem, go to the person. Don't go to somebody else. It doesn't even say go to him first. Go to them, okay? But anyway, what does it say? Um, pray for them that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain for the just and the unjust. You see, God treats us all equally. When it rains, who benefits? We all do. If it's a drought, who suffers? <laughs> we all do. We all say that God is no respecter of persons, don't we? Well, it's scriptural. It says that. And so what this passage is saying, don't treat those that you don't agree with, those that have hurt you and don't like you, those who are sinful and don't love God and don't share your faith, don't treat them any different than you would someone that you attend church with your pastor or one of the people that's got good standing in your church that you want to really think you're close to God. None of y'all ever do that in church, do you? You know, there is politics in church, by the way. All right. I know I got to close. Let's look at Romans 12. How many of you have a hard time trusting God to be your vindicator? One of the hardest things for me to learn as a child in primary class at London Baptist Church when I was five, six, seven years old was the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I was a eye for an eye type of person. You hit me when I was little. I hit you. Isn't that how most children are? You take my toy, I'm going to take it back and hit you with it. That's how we work. That's that nature we're born into. And we have to learn that that's not the way that you behave because it's not godly and it's not helpful. So now let's look at Romans chapter 12 and then verse beginning in verse 9. And I'm going to read and I'll try to go through this quickly. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. All that we can agree with. Um, but then it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That means not necessarily that, you're, that you have to bless them in some material way, but it means that you need to refrain sometimes from for speaking negatively of them. It means that in a situation you don't look for every opportunity in conversation to bring up what someone has done that has harmed you or has offended you. And if you're like me, you always look for an open door to tell others what someone else has done to you. And that's not good. Um, and then it goes on to say, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on 
high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Now, see, that hits me like a ton of bricks. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Do we have any know-it-alls in the house? Those who laugh know one, and those who probably didn't laugh may be one. Now I've offended those who didn't laugh but aren't know-it-alls. Um, humility is something, isn't it? Humility is hard. But now this is where I want to focus, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if possible, because there is balance in the word of God, and it does say that it's not always possible to be at peace with everyone. How many of you know that no matter how hard you try, some people will not allow you to have peace with them? But in verse 17, excuse me, verse 18, it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you. You can't control another person, but you can control you. As much as depends on you, live peaceably. And can I insert there that if you're going to live at peace with someone, you're going to have to be kind to that person. You will not maintain peace in a relationship if kindness is not present more often than not. And then verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How many will confess that there's a lot of evil in this world? Even in Bruton, a lot of evil. Two train wrecks last week. Woo. You say, well, that's not evil, but my goodness, what do you have to do to get somebody to realize there's a train coming? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But we overcome evil by good, not by getting on the same level. But I want to go back to verse 20, and I'll end with this. When I was young in the Lord and I read this verse, I got excited. Because it says, if I treated people God's way, which many times was the opposite way of which I was treated, that it said, in doing so, it would heap coals of fire on their head. So I liked that, because that was... The way fire, in my mind, fire was judgment. In my mind, it says God's going to get them. And he will deal with them. But I love what he says. He says, vengeance is mine. Say, Lord, I will repay. You know what? God can deal with someone in a way that you never can. And so God will deal with them about what they've done to you. And any loss that you suffer, any hurt that you suffer... God will also repay you. But that coals of fire does not necessarily mean judgment, but the point, your acts of kindness to people who mistreat you, the people that need your kindness the most, the way that I now interpret this scripture is that what that's intended to do is to melt and break down the hardness of their heart. To make their heart pliable. What does Romans 2, 4 say? The goodness of God leads men to repentance. To change not just their thinking, but their behavior and also the way that they treat you. Sometimes someone has to be the adult in the room and turn the other cheek. Sometimes somebody has to not respond in kind. 
let me say this, because I know Parker and them, they're on a mission trip there in Mexico. They're trying to expose people to God, and a lot of times that's done through helping people with their living situation and all of that. And why do you do all of that? You do that so people understand God loves them and God is concerned with them and God wants them in a relationship just as much as he wants some, a relationship with those of us who might have more than they do. But the whole point in being kind is not to have more friends on Facebook or maybe to get, a, get an office or anything like that. The importance of being kind, and let me say it this way, but let me ratchet up the intensity here for a second. The power of being kind, especially to those who don't deserve it, it creates a stage for God to work in their life and bring them into a right relationship with him. Now that's hard to see when you're in the middle of the battle, isn't it? It's hard to see when... Uh, when, when you're being mistreated. It's hard to see when the country is just going to hell, as, as Franklin Graham said in that prayer that you referenced. And it seems like we're going there quickly. But what the church has to do is not lose its focus on what God has instructed us to do, to have a powerful presence and force in our culture no matter what direction it's going in. And I think as a whole, because I don't know that many of you in here personally, but as a whole, I think we are, we are letting the world set the pace and set the tone. And we're using God's word, but we're not doing it like 1 Corinthians 13 says, and it's just a distraction and it's noise. You know what? God's word will only work if you do it God's way. And God has a prescription for reaching the people that are hostile to him and hostile to you. And it's through kindness. It's through patience. And although, you know, some people say, well, that's just a wimpy way to approach life. If God is wimpy, then I'm going to be wimpy. Because in the end, is it really about us? No. I look at what he endured on the cross. And the fact that somebody insulted me the day I came back from work after COVID, I just really need to let it go, get over it, and drop it. Right? This world out there is hurting. There is a lot of anger. There's a lot of confusion. And as bad as it is, let me say this. This is the best opportunity. We are living in an age where we have more opportunities to help people see the true love and nature and character of God than we've ever had. Because listen, there is, we are used to people who didn't go to church acted a lot like people who went to church. And now a lot of people that go to church don't act like they go to church. Light and dark, the contrast could not be more clear. So the Bible says in the end times, it says that evil will wax worse, right? And the love of many will grow cold. But also it says there will be an outpouring in the church. And I think, you know what, just because it, the world's getting worse, that's just an opportunity for the church to shine brighter 
and have more power and more reach and more impact. And as simple as it sounds, if we could just walk in the true love of God, the Holy Spirit could then, and allow the Holy Spirit to express who God is, not our interpretation of who God is. Man, God could move mountains and he could change hearts and this world. I haven't given up yet on our country. I haven't given yet up yet on humanity. I've not given up yet on my niece who is still back and that drug lifestyle. I've not given up on Bruton. I just don't think the church can afford to give up. Amen. Father, I come to you this morning and I know that messages like these, although we've heard these scriptures before, for me I have found that I have underestimated the simple power or the power of doing simple things. Lord, you desire that we be obedient. And your character is so different than what we're seeing in our culture. And it's my prayer and it's my heart's desire as I seek you personally, and I pray that this church would seek you, is that we would grow. And every tenet and characteristic and attribute, Lord, of your character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Where we could be and who we could be and what we could do for you, Lord, has been unseen if we would just make a commitment to allow your spirit to guide us into all truth of your word and just heed to those commands that Paul gave the church at Corinth to walk in love and to be patient and kind and not rude. And Lord, I really believe that if we would take that to heart, people could see the goodness of God and then people would be led to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.